This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the 1st of August to the 5th of August. Uh, big highlights this week. Uh, we had Laura Dunneman come in and talk about how we can make the Olympics better. And also uh, Sarah brought in a novel, a novel that she wrote when she was eight years old. And talking about Sarah, she also explained about the rats that are living, the one rat, in fact, that's living in her rosebush. My sad life. (laughs) (laughs) And Gideon Haig talked to us about sports governance in Australia, which was much more interesting than perhaps it sounds. Um, So... I have a bit of a rat problem, not in my house, but outside of my house. Right. So the other day, I was sitting in my lounge room staring out the window, as I do, <laughs> and I saw, I swear to God, I saw a rat on my rose bush, like perched on my rose bush. Mm. And I thought, that's so weird. Just Why sitting I, on top. Just, just like clinging onto a rose bush. I thought, that's a bit weird. There's a, there's a rat in my rose bush. And I was on the phone to a friend of mine at the time, and she goes, there's no way a rat would be clinging to your bush. rose bush. Like, why would a rat? And so I ran out the front. And then it had gone. And I was like, fire it, I'm really insane. Like, I'm really tired. I just, I just saw a rat on my rose bush. hallucinating rats. Totally. And then yesterday I got home, I was sitting in the same spot, staring out the window, and then I saw a rat on my rose bush again. And I thought, this is insane. Like, there's something, I'm, either, I'm really tired and I'm hallucinating rats on my rose bush <laughs> every time I'm tired. Or the genuine needs. And this time... Do I, you wind down by um, maybe putting on a movie and watching something like Ratatouille? <laughs> Or do you wind down like... <laughs> Taking acid? <laughs> no. <laughs> Taking LSD tablets. Uh, no, no, no. But then I was like, I'll get closer to it. And then I went and I stared and I was looking at it really... Through the glass. Through the glass. And I was like, no, that's, that's 100% a rat. If that is not a rat, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. And then it moved a bit and I was like, no, it's definitely a rat. So I snuck out the front and then it saw me coming. They're really smart. It must have seen yeah. me coming. I saw it drop to the ground and run behind this rock. And I went and I looked over at it. And it could see me, and then it ran around and then up into this green tree that I have just outside the front of my door. Yeah. And I was disgusted by this because I realised the other day I came home, and to my horror, there was a dead bird on my doorstep. And I thought, oh, maybe like a neighbour's cat has left this dead bird there. But the rat? So what I think is the rat has got into the bird because there was a bird in a nest in that tree. And I think it got in and ate the bird and I was living in a disgusting rat nest in a tree outside my door. Wow. And I don't know what to do about it. I'm so disgusted. It's like a a bad country and western song, isn't it? It is. It's a rat in my (laughs) rose bush. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so... I just don't know what to do. It's a rat like a... Not like a marsupial mouse or anything. It's like a ratus, you know, I did, black plague rat. I did consider that maybe a baby possum. It, it was some special kind of thing, but it is definitely right. Apparently, Wildlife Victoria gets a lot of calls from people going, oh, I found a baby possum. I found <laughs> a baby oh possum. Maybe I should do that. And they'll yeah. come and get it and they'll go to a rat, but I'll say, you have to take it away now. Yeah. You no, could do that. Be, so, what are you going to do? I don't know. I reckon you could just leave it. I don't want... I've got to trim the bush soon. I don't want to <laughs> trim the bush around the rat nest. And also, you, you'll be staring at the window all the time, <laughs> obsessing about whether the rat is there. I know. Every time I look at it, the rat might be on the rose bush. That is disgusting. And also, the rat might come... I want to trim the bush. <laughs> and I, wanna, I don't want to trim around the rat's nest. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't get that through. Oh... Uh, <laughs> All right. Apologies. Can- <laughs> anyway, 
got rat problems. Don't worry about the rat will leave in its own time. I think it might start coming and tapping on the window. That's my concern. <laughs> Shall I just hear? Can I come in? I was um, I was at a, a pub one night. I've been to a pub on many nights, <laughs> but this is quite a few years ago. I was sitting. Um, uh, out in the beer garden at the the Union Hotel. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. So right down the end, and there's a big like bush thing, tree, big leaves hanging down and stuff. And it had been raining previously, so some leaves had been falling off the tree. And uh, I was sitting there with my back to it, and then I felt something <laughs> fall on my shoulder. Oh no! And I thought it was <laughs> a leaf, and then it. <laughs> And I knew it wasn't because I was sitting across from Kate McLennan and she's talking, talking, talking and then all of a sudden her face just went white. (laughs) She just – and I felt something run across my shoulder and down my arm and I went, that was a rat, wasn't it? rat just landed on my shoulder. She was, yeah. Yeah, it was. All right, we might go inside now if that's all right. Yeah, right. That's not uh, much of an ad for the beer garden, is it? (laughs) Still went back. Previously, we talked about um, plagiarism and (laughs) 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 so. Sarah uh, told us about uh, a novel that she wrote when in back in 1993. How old were you then? I would have been uh, 1993. I would have been nine. There you go. Eight or nine. Uh, now everyone knows how old you are. Oh, no. Eight. Maybe I was eight. <laughs> anyway, so you've written a book. It's called Learning to Spell. And it's about witches. Mm. It's about a witching academy. A witching, a witching academy. academy. That sounds familiar. It does sound familiar. Mm. Because many years later, you've bought the you've bought the novel in. Many years later, Harry Potter would appear. Yes, and there are there are some striking similarities between the novel I wrote in 1992 and Harry Potter. Well, here's the thing, and I'm not saying anything, but yeah. I am. You are. You do have a character called Hermione in there. Yes. Who plays what are the chances of an eight-year-old in 1992 creating a book about a witching academy with a character called Hermione? So I don't want to throw a spanner in this the, no. in this theory. I was just looking at the J.K. Rowling Wikipedia. She conceived the idea for the Harry Potter series while on a delayed train from Manchester to London in 1990. But how does she have proof of that? Did she write it? <laughs> and she, well, maybe you stole the idea from her. <laughs> Here's the thing here, you've, unless she's got, you know, copyright on that. Uh, I also don't know why I still own this. Am I? <laughs> well, I, I know exactly great. why. It's, it's good. I love the first page. It's author, Sarah Smith, learning to spell. Illustration, Sarah Smith, published in Burwood, Australia by Witchcraft Books in 1993. That's your own, that's your own <laughs> publishing company that you started up. Copyright with the C and, in the circle... Sarah Smith, 1993. It's been copyrighted. I took it all very seriously. It's a good book. And you're right, it is a novel. There's, you know... There's chapters. There are chapters. There's four chapters. How many... There's there's ten stuff that happens, right? 
It's 12 pages. That's a lot. I also like that um, every now and again there'll be a little witch's hat in the middle of the page. Oh. Yeah, it's where I made a spelling mistake yeah. and then I just draw a little witch's hat over it. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Very clever. But it starts with, can I... I'll just, yeah, I'll let's read, read some. Oh, I'm keen oh, to hear it. Chapter 1, Kate. <laughs> Most story about witches begin with once upon a time, but this one does not. No, it doesn't. Take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was this witch called Kate. You were probably expecting a horrible name like Grump, Grump or Wart Walk. <laughs> I was expecting that, actually, but this is a turnaround. <laughs> Wart Walk. <laughs> no. Uh... <laughs> I really wish I hadn't brought this in now. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, oh, I'm very so, happy so that, glad you that you did. Walk, <laughs> uh, <laughs> walk. But no, Kate was an apprentice witch and a very respectable one. She had bright orange hair and eyes that if you looked into them, you couldn't lie. <laughs> Well, wait, when I say respectable, I don't mean all kind and nice. I mean good manners and that sort of stuff. <laughs> but she was trouble. I really just wanted to develop the character, which I think I'm doing I very think, well. Yeah, yeah, I think you do, right. yes. yeah, Thank you. Oh, I can't look at my more microphone than Harry Potter. There's yes, a witch's hat. Uh, all female cast. Yeah. Funny, which I didn't even realise at the time. You could look in Harry Potter's eyes. Without yeah. being able to lie, I was a feminist in 1993. You sure? A very strong female lead, <laughs> and all you, females. Because what's the problem? So you it's like Ghostbusters, the, really. You set up the characters <laughs> right. You've done that very well, but then you set up a problem. What's the problem? The problem is uh, that Kate. Oh, there's two problems. She doesn't like her hair. She doesn't mm. like her hair color. She's got red hair. Because I think in 1992, the worst thing you could have was red hair. Maybe. I don't know. Apologies to all our redhead listeners. Oh no! Out there. Oh, I love red hair. I'm, I'm big, big. I, all my all my early crushes were on redheaded boys. There's a fun fact. Oh. Uh, so she has red hair and she wants to dye her hair black. And it's, also, uh, her teacher. She hates her teacher. Nasty bit of work her teacher really? is. Mm. So during a broomstick lesson, uh, why did she do this? Any, I missed that bit. But Kate tries to fly over the wall oh, on her broomstick. Yeah, yeah. yeah, can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. So, you know what the teacher does? Flies up next to her, grabs the broom, snaps it in half, and then as Kate's plummeting to her death, saves her at the last minute. Is the teacher called Snape? Snape? Miss Grumple. Yes. No, yeah, it's Miss Grumple. Miss Grumple. That's close to Snape, though. Yes. Can can I just tell you that uh, (laughs) the first Harry Potter Potter book sold 400 million copies? Thank you for telling me that. (laughs) And um, how much money did it earn? Lots. She became the highest... Best-selling book in history, and uh, one of the richest people of the UK. Cool. I'm really happy with my life, so thanks, <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Do you think it's JK Potter's life? Sarah's life. Do you think I could t- if I tweeted at her, she'd respond? If I tweeted, "Look at this book I wrote in 1992 with a lead female in it shot. called Hermione." Please, I think please you'd do hear it. from a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, probably. Please, no, no, no. <laughs> do it anyway. I'm not making any accusations <laughs> at all. Uh, I like. Um, so, so she wants to. You want to? What Kate wants to revenge on the teacher, right? Yeah. So her f- best friends, Hermione and Gretchen, um, you know, they couldn't think of many ideas. Is what you've written. What about putting a frog in a drawer? Said ah. Gretchen. Or you could turn her into a cow. I think that's already. It's already happened. Hermione, she's already a cow. <laughs> it's too late. And then you go, oh, here's the other thing that you've... Um, pick apart eight-year-old Sarah's. <laughs> it's no, horrible. No, it's great. It's this really good. Book. Oh, thanks. There's a lot of detail in some parts. I can see why it's 12 pages. I reckon you could edit it down to six. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
Oh, yeah. You've also got the Triwizard Cup in here. I do have the Triwizard Cup. You didn't call it that, though. What did I call it? Well, you called it the um, witchcraft, the 1993 witchcraft athletics. <laughs> or something. <laughs> can't remember. What did you call it? The 1993 witchcraft? I think sports or oh, sporting yeah. athletics or something. Olympics. I don't know. Oh, yeah. And then you get into, um, you put itching powder into the, oh, that's the other thing I like. In the illustrations, you've got the itching powder that you get gave put in the teacher's clothes yes um to get revenge to get revenge and then the illustration is just apparently you just put it on the the private areas because she's just scratching the (laughs) 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 thanks but then but there's a bit of um at, at the athletics they go to oh let me find sorry there's so there's lots to get through um in, in the race. Where's the chapter two, the plan? Sorry, I've got to go to chapter three. Oh, yeah, the race. That's the sound of the pages yeah. turning. Yeah. So, yeah, very. very As they would be <laughs> yeah. by millions of children <laughs> had I published this <laughs> in 1992. 400 million, 400 million copies. Yeah, for some reason you just go to, uh, let's go to a race. Let's have a race. Kate was so nervous. She was one of the best runners in the school, but not the best. <laughs> Good luck. What? Oh, it's you, Gretchen. Good luck too. Okay, is everyone ready? Good. On your marks, get set. Bang! Kate got a good start. She was in the lead, but there was still 800 metres to go. Whoa, what's going to happen? After about 50 metres, Myrtle caught up. They were neck and neck most of the way. All the other young witches had dropped behind. Now all Kate could think about was Myrtle and herself. Suddenly Kate's legs began to hurt, but she kept on running. There were only 100 metres left and they were all still neck, neck to neck. Suddenly Myrtle gave an extra burst of energy and Kate dropped back not by much. They only had 20 metres to the finish line. Just as Myrtle was about to cross the line, Kate jumped past past her. Everyone cheered and clapped and did the same when the others passed the finish line. Kate and Myrtle didn't know who had won, so they went and asked the judges. They said he they said had taken a photo to check. Kate had won by a pointy nose. I get that. I guess that was a lucky day. I guess that was Kate's lucky day. So the witch is adding there. Oh, so much better than Harry Potter. Thank you. Yeah. Six hundred million pounds she's worth. Yeah. I'm not wanting to rub that in. Guess how much I'm worth. <laughs> we should um, heaps. Six we bucks. should we should put some images from this up, up on. I don't know media. that we really need to do that. Yeah. Do that. No, we're going to do that. I think we're all right. Okay. Just, just before we go, Sarah oh. Smith was born in Melbourne in 1984. Oh <laughs> uh, she plays netball and keyboard and loves reading. She's written an illustrated. Many short stories and learning to spell is her first novel. 20 out of 20, mate. Sarah, you have a readable style. You had all the items listed in the project guide. Your front cover was eye catching. Congratulations, Miss M. It's actually Miss H, but thank you very much. Right. Thanks for letting I can't believe I allowed you to humiliate eight year old Sarah for 10 minutes on it. <laughs> Thank you.
Ian Haig is a widely published journalist and the author of an extraordinary number of books, but we're talking to him today <laughs> about his essay in the latest Griffith Review, mm. See How They Run Sports Governance in Australia. Welcome to Triple R. Nice to be here. It's a great pleasure to have you. You make the point in the article that Melbourne and Sydney contain more professional mm. sporting clubs than any two sit- comparable cities in the world. Mm. What does the governance structure of a professional sporting organisation look like in Australia? Is there a template? No, there's not a template. Uh, in fact, uh, you, know, you would have to say that at the moment sports governance models are in a state of transition. For a long period, there was no particular need for them to change. The stakes weren't huge. The public was more or less satisfied. The decision, Not a great deal hinged on the decisions. In the last probably 10 years, uh, significant amounts of hot money have begun to sluice around in, uh, in big-time sport. Uh, considerable discrepancies in size have opened up between the major sports in Australia. They're sort of really in three tiers now, uh, with those with the big broadcasting deals um, at the at the very top of the tree. And in a sense, governance is trying to catch up with the changed nature of, of modern sport. And it was very interesting to me when I when I went to research this piece was how siloed sports administration is. How little idea one sport had about what another sport was doing and how little they were actually concerned with it. Uh, they tended to... Their, their governance models were partly response to the contemporary commercial environment, but often the outcome of historical forces. And in the process of changing, it was remarkable just how many of these sports had had very comprehensive governance reviews even in the last five years. You go to their websites and these voluminous reports on them about <laughs> how the sport had to change. Some of the changes had been implemented, some some had not. So if I went back and I did the comparable story in five years' time, I suspect I'd find a completely different environment. Uh, and... A lot of it is still dictated by personalities. The Mm. sports are still small enough to be susceptible to the influence of a strong hand or a a strong personality or a a guy who gives the illusion of knowing what he's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, isn't that the way with with everything? I was really struck by another point that you make. We tend to think of now sport as big business, Mm, and it is a big business, but you also make the point that it's not necessarily a good way of making money, that a third of Australia's professional football clubs only a third made a profit last year. Mm, it's a fantastic way to spend money, to waste money, but it's actually a very poor mo- way to, 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 to make it, to, to earn it. Uh, there is a tendency over time for expenditure to rise to meet income. Uh, and it was interesting that uh, one club president made the point to me, who'd been involved in the restructuring of the, of the AFL back in the 1980s, He said exactly the same proportion of AFL clubs are in financial difficulty now as they were in the 80s, except they are on the basis of turnovers of $50 million rather than $3 million. I was literally about to ask you about that. I had that written Mm. down because I was flabbergasted by that. The AFL to me seems like such an industry now. You have these huge television rights, multi, multi million dollar television rights. Is this down to governance? Why haven't the clubs kind of, uh, I guess, moved at the same pace that the AFL has itself as a corporation? Well, I guess, I mean, uh, one, of the, one of the interesting influences on, on the structure of boards in, uh, in, in sport is that precisely because the, the individuals usually uh, do so on a, on a sort of a charitable basis, they, they'll receive an honorarium, they'll have their expenses covered, but they won't receive director's fees, is that the boards tend to be self-selecting. 
uh, and it's actually quite difficult to get on them. You know, Pauline Hanson has a better chance of getting into the Australian Senate than she does of getting voted onto the board of the Brisbane Broncos. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't know whether it's a good or a bad yeah, thing. So um, these organisations are quite resistant to change at the same time. And at the same time as the complexity of modern sport is actually outstripping the ability of unpaid external directors to really comprehend exactly what it is that they're doing. More and more responsibilities tend to be vested in the executive and the executive hasn't got experience of dealing with the complexity of these issues. You know, a lot of, lot of the executive models are, are backward-looking rather than, rather than forward-looking. When I was sitting outside before going through the, the morning's papers looking at the sports section of The Age, uh, probably about three-quarters of the sports stories in there related at some level to governance, to the inadequacies of, of governance, to executive failure, to a, a lack of management foresight or, um, or disputes among the kind of the, the oligarchs um, running sport at the top level. Yeah, we seem particularly fascinated with it. Uh, the Richmond Football Club has had a terrible mm. year on field yes. and now suddenly the conversation has turned from trading players, uh, what's wrong with the coaches, mm. to whether we should have a coup... Yes. A board yes. coup, as yes. they're calling it. Nothing dramatic yes. about that language at all. Uh, I, I just wonder why that is, why we are fixated on uh, if, we, if we chuck out a board or if we chuck out a few board members, will that fix a problem that the public's upset about? Well, one of the wonderful things about sport and one of the terrible things about it from a governance point of view is that everyone has an opinion. Yes. You know, everyone <laughs> thinks they know better and everyone is quite passionate about it. Everyone sort of wants to be involved and there's a degree of, um, of prestige um, attached to, to being on a, on a football club board. It's a great thing for a corporate person to have on a CV. It's remarkable how talented um, and high, how expensive a lot of the um, governance talent is around Australian sporting boards. Uh, gilded with a certain amount of um, media celebrity at the, mm. at the same time. But there is no real consensus about how you do things. Going back to that original point, I think a lot of the roles are fashioned around individuals rather than individuals being fitted into roles. There's no kind of right way to do it, so everyone thinks that they know a better way. And Oh, sorry, you go. Sorry, are, are there any clubs you think that are doing a good job? Not doing it right, but kind of getting it better than other clubs? I think so. I, look, I think there is a pretty strong correlation between good governance and on-field support uh, success. It's not an absolute correlation, but over time, the better governed clubs will tend to prevail. I think that's quite evident with the, the opposite. In, if you're not governed well, then you're not going to do well on the field. If you're Case not governed well, that is bombers. almost always predictive of, uh, of failure. Yeah. And it's not just individuals. It's a, it's a group of individuals and it's a group of agendas that are brought to a, to a, a board table. And in the case of the Essendon Football Club, if you have read the extracts of the Zwitkowski report, a lot of it has been explained by Ziggy Zwitkowski in terms of fluid and transient and unstable management structures where responsibilities were poorly defined mm. and divided. People didn't seem to be reporting to anyone else. There was an inexperienced chief executive, a, an accomplished commercial chief executive, but one with a limited understanding of what was happening on the field. And in the case of James Hurd, a first-time coach uh, who was kind of invested with these, um, with, the, with, the, with the powers and the charisma that attached to the former champion within a sporting environment. 
uh, you know, James Hurd was untouchable mm. within the Essendon Football Club because of the legend that surrounded him as a player. That's a, that's a, that's a very dangerous position for anyone to be in. It would have got to, to, to an individual, uh, not James Hurd, but, uh, you know, someone with a comparable stature. Well, that, that's my next question, I guess. What makes a good sporting manager? Is management just a transferable skill or do they have to have some sort of intimate yeah. connection with the sport? Do they need to be a former player, for instance? No, they don't need to be a former player. One of the interesting characteristics of management within sporting clubs, moving here to, to management rather than, rather than governance, is that management is also very siloed. A lot of organisations, commercial organisations, encourage their people to develop a broad range of experiences. They'll move them from one section to another, one department, one set of responsibilities to another. Within sport, people tend to move only vertically, uh, not horizontally. If you're on the, you, you tend to be on the high performance side, on the marketing side, on the financial side, on the sales side, but you don't move across those those different silos and therefore you tend to you there tends to be a glass ceiling you tend to not be able to go any further and you probably go off and do that that responsibility at another sport rather than within the, the club or the organization that you first joined mm. jess asked if a club was doing particularly well in the afl but is there a code in australia that you look to that goes that is kind of pulling off sporting governance really well <sighs> um well, that's a deep side. That is a very yeah. deep, well. Here's an interesting one. Here's an interesting one that I've that I've only recently become aware of, and that's Greyhounds Victoria. No, that is, is a not, very I cannot interesting contrast <laughs> with Greyhounds in New South Wales. Um, this was being put to me the other day that Greyhound Victoria had making some, make, taken some difficult decisions some years ago about its governance model in terms of eliminating um, conflicts of interest uh, in guaranteeing general uh, autonomy for the, for, for the board um, and for, you know, proper executive uh, responsibility and discretion. Greyhound New South Wales had flubbed a lot of those choices and that it remained um, a bastion of, of vested interests, which has probably resulted in the malaise that's, uh, that's besetting it now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, just before we let you go, one of the uh, conclusions you come to in this piece is that while participation in sports is diversifying in terms of mm. gender and ethnicity, mm. sports government is not, or at least not <laughs> at the same <laughs> rate. Is that just a reflection of the business culture more generally or is there something specific happening with sports I think I'd, I'd line in there like um that uh, that sport in australia made g g corporate australia look like a bunch of crazed lesbian separatists <laughs> uh, in terms of uh, sort of female participation uh, the diversity of the um, of the uh, of the people on the various committees and uh, and boards and that's partly because of that function i said before that, that these people tend to be self-selecting it tends to be the independently wealthy who can afford to donate their time to, um, to, to these kind of roles, which are increasingly complicated and increasingly time-consuming. Uh, and that limits the gene pool that, we're, that we've got in Australia. And the gene pool will not change by itself. You know, active steps need to be taken to, uh, to, to, to increase the diversity. It, it, it won't happen of its, of its own accord. And as one uh, female director of a sports organisation put it to me, no man, men are fine, but no man would ever willingly stand aside or surrender power in order to advance a woman. It just would never occur to them. Yeah, I can't imagine saying that in a, particularly in an AFL football mm. club. 
these days anyway. The article is See How They Run Sports Governance in Australia. It's in the latest edition of Griffith Review. We've been talking to its author, Gideon Haig. Thanks so much for coming. Cheers. And Gideon, just before you go, I have to quickly ask you about your T-shirt. It says hashtag yeah. change cricket. We've spoken a lot about football. What, what, do you, what does that mean? We have. It's actually, um, I'll, I'll turn around. Hashtag change cricket. Death. I can't read that. Sorry, Death of a Gentleman. Okay. It's, um, it's, a, it's a documentary. It's a documentary about cricket governance that was made by ah. a couple of um, journalists uh, a few years ago that, that I gave some assistance to. And it's about the kind of the endemic uh, corruption and inefficiencies of the International Cricket Council. We haven't actually talked about international sporting bodies. That's a, that's a whole other raft of... Um, that's another issues-rich environment, yes. to say the least. But, uh, but the ICC um, uh, is uh, possibly the worst of all possible worlds. The, the only thing that it does is it compares favourably to FIFA and the IOC, which doesn't really <laughs> say much. Uh, Laura Dunneman, welcome. Hello, Breakfasters. Hello. Hello. Great to be here. Lovely to have you. I've missed this studio. Have you? It's cosy and warm. It is. Well, you are wearing a puffer jacket. Well, you are wearing a onesie. Yeah. So. <laughs> fair, fair. It's good, though. Uh, welcome. Thank you for coming in. We're My gonna, pleasure. We're going to talk, talk about the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anything in particular you want to... Well, I was thinking about... I've been thinking about the Olympics a lot in the last week and we always used to talk about sport on the down low even mm. though we didn't really know that much about it. <laughs> we talk we about things it. we know nothing about all the Great. time. Great, that's what that's my specialty. <laughs> and I, I just have been feeling about the Olympics that it's a little bit underwhelming. At, mm. I agree. Yeah. And I was just wondering if it, is it because we're adults now? Like are children these days as excited about the Olympics yeah, we talked we about this were. yesterday briefly. Like we talked, you know, is it because you, you know, when you're at school, you're very much involved in it because you had to do projects on you it. Do and like stuff. the Olympics activity books, which mm. was probably pretty lazy teaching. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. One step up from yeah. why don't we watch a video? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Colour in the rings. Find find a word. <laughs> But, yeah, I, I just remember the Olympics as, like, blowing my mind. Like, totally. just It was just, like, let's stop our normal every day-to-day life for two weeks because the Olympics is on, like, hold the phone. And being very emotionally invested as a child yes. about Australia winning gold. Mm. Like, oh, my oh, God. China's beating us. Oh, America's beating us. Look at yeah. the medal tally. Kieran yeah. Perkins. Yeah. Kieran yeah. Perkins at Barcelona, oh. for me, was just, like, I'd... I can't even. This is, <laughs> this is the one where he kept it. He only just made it into the finals and yeah. he was like in the eighth lane and then there was something wrong with his back and there was something wrong with his tumble turns and then he, when he figured like that it out. It's classic Olympian oh. story, isn't it? Gold, going yeah. for gold. It just captured my heart, but and ever since then, I feel like they're not much has happened. Kind of lowering the expectations. I mean, Geraldine's reading the news out, and they're saying that the, the, their party is going to be the cool party, which sort of. The, the opening night celebration is going to be a cool party. It sort of feels oh. like what you say when you know your party is going to be a big dud. That's ex- yeah, that, that's exactly what. Well, you it's going to be. They said the, the organizer of the opening ceremony, the relay said it's going to be the world's coolest party. So they're trying to downplay it from it's not going to be a big grand thing because we can't fit the floats through the doors. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> 
It's going to be, it's it's gonna gonna be, be chilled cool. out. Yeah. Chilled uh, out. I kind of think, you know, when a cartoon introduces the cool character and it's yeah, like yeah. a dog wearing sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. It, it does, like it does sound, kind of sound like um, your parents have told you you can't, like, throw a party without them there, so they're going to plan it for you. <laughs> Trust me, it'll be cool. <laughs> will be. Exactly it's like gonna that. It's going to be cool. <laughs> Whatever, Rio. <laughs> As soon as you're out of town, 